All right, well, we are going to j- dive back into the series that we've been in over the last several weeks. We've got today and two more Sundays here in the, the big story. If you're here for the very first time, uh, we are in, this is a unique series. As we look at Scripture and say, a lot of times, here's what we do with the Bible. We go and we cherry pick a verse that we like, or we read a story that we like, and we love that thing, but we have a hard time understanding, well, what's the whole story going on? Where does this story that I just read, where does this verse actually fit in? And so what we're doing is we're stepping back from the the scriptures for a moment, and we're looking at the whole story of the Bible and saying, what is this big story going on in the Bible? And we're asking ourselves two questions. We've asked these each week. Question number one is this, how do I fit into God's story? Not how does God fit into my story, how do I fit into God's story? But the second question we ask is this, how does this story constantly point us to Jesus? From the beginning to the end, a lot of times we talk about, well, the New Testament is about Jesus, but he's not in the Old Testament. That's not true. This entire story is pointing us to Jesus. And I said this on week one, that sometimes we can read the Old Testament and we're under like, well, God said he wanted to do this thing and these people keep screwing it up and there's some crazy stories in here. And why would all this stuff be allowed to include in the scripture? And and here's the reason, because God said from the beginning, we have to get to Jesus. Like this story, we have to get to Jesus. Why does he put up with these people? Because we have to get to Jesus. That's the point. That's where our hope is is at, all right? And so this morning, we get to turn and start. We ended the Old Testament last week. We are beginning the New Testament today as we continue in that story, and I think we're going to look at a theme and a principle that oftentimes the modern church completely ignores, and yet I think it can be one of the most important things when it comes to our faith. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse number 14. If you would, would you stand with me across the room? Uh, we do this every week, not, not for any other reason, but just to say, God, we value your word above everything else. My words are not that important. It's his that matter. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news, the gospel of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And God, we are truly wanting to hear from you today. And so God, we put aside all the other distractions, what we've had going on this week, the fact that we're tired and we need another coffee, we put all that aside. We say, God, we want to hear from you. So we open our ears and hearts to you. And we pray that in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You can be seated. Now I asked this question last week, and I, but I just want to ask again, how many of you grew up in church? Raise your hand if you grew up in church, all right? There's a lot of you that grew up in church, and there's some of you that did not grow in church. That's great. If you grew up in church, like I grew up in church, Here's what can happen is we can get an oversimplified view of scripture. When people say, well, what's the Bible about? We'll answer this way. Well, Jesus came to earth to die on the cross for our sins so that we can go to heaven when we die. That's a story that we'll tell. And then we'll say, okay, so, so because of that, you should invite Jesus into your heart and then everything will be okay. This is the oversimplified version that oftentimes we teach. We reveal this to kids and we talk about this. And although, here's the, hear this, although if properly understood, everything I just said is true, if you properly understand it, it is, it is a severe, severe oversimplification and it's pretty incomplete to the real story of the Bible. It's like telling kids about where babies come from. Okay? So, 
all right? So if you ever had, if you ever had a kid ask you, well, well, where do babies come from? And then you, the first thing that happens is you break into a hot sweat, okay? Let's just be honest. You break into a hot sweat. That's fine. And then, and then here's what we do. We, we talk uh, to the kid, and we're like, okay, okay. So uh, when a man loves a woman, right? When a man loves a woman, then they, they eventually get married, right? They get married, and then what happens? You get married, and then, and then eventually they have a baby, and that's how it happens. And, and you pray to God, there's no follow-up question, right? Like, I'm, I'm done here. I don't want to talk about this. That's fine, right? But here's, here's the deal. We know that that's a, a vast oversimplification of what's going on, and we've left some very important things out of the story at that point, and here's what happens with the gospel. When we understand this, we are missing very critical parts when it comes to the gospel. What is this story that's really going on? And so this morning, what we're going to ask is, is not just this little piece that we've got, but how does this Jesus coming to earth? Like, we know he came to earth. We know he died on a cross. We know he did that for our sins. We understand that, but how does Jesus coming to earth fit into this big story? And I would say this, that if Jesus was here today talking to you, he would never say that you should invite him into your heart. We're going to talk about that here in a moment. So to understand the big story, if you got the big story, this whole thing going on, right? Uh, to understand that, I think you have to understand a, a major theme that we see in Scripture. And the theme that we find in Scripture is the theme of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. See, at the beginning, Mark talks about this. Jesus comes on, and what does he start? Right out of the gates, he begins proclaiming what? The kingdom of God. He doesn't come saying, hey guys, I'm coming to die on a cross for your sins. Although he gets there eventually, that's not the first thing he starts communicating. He comes saying, the kingdom of God is here. But I think for a lot of us, we don't even know what the kingdom of, what, like what does that mean? What, is, what does this mean to have a kingdom? And the, the kingdom of God, the, the word kingdom is better understood as the rule of God or the reign of God. Kingdom is more like a verb than it is anything else. It's almost like to kingdom something. God is kingdoming. He is ruling. He is reigning. That's what it means, the kingdom of God. It is where God rules and reigns. And so what I want to do is I want to step back and look at the big story through the lens of the kingdom of God, through the lens of the, the rule and the reign of God. And so we kind of have this timeline we've been going through uh, that talks about what the story is. And so we said at the very beginning, we got the beginnings. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. This is his story. It's not our story. And what happens in the creation story? God creates all things, right? He creates everything perfect. He assigns purpose to all things. He brings order out of chaos. And at the end of Genesis chapter 1, what picture do we have? We have God seated on his heavenly throne over his universal kingdom. Everything is under his command. Everything is under his rule and his reign. Everything is submitted to him. Mankind is under him and submitted to his authority. And what does it look like when God is on the throne? What does it look like when his kingdom is ruling and reigning? It is good. It is perfect. There's no pain. There's no disease, no sickness, no trauma, none of those things, right? There's no injustice. It is perfect. Everything we would desire it to be. That's what it looks like. But we see what happens on page number two of Genesis. Mankind steps out under the authority of God. Instead of saying submitted to his authority, they step out from under it and say, no, we're not going to surrender to your kingdom, to your rule, to your reign. And what happens? The relationship between God and man is severed. There's a brokenness there. There's a brokenness between the relationship of humankind. That's the picture that we get. 
And at the end of this uh, creation account, God says, listen, there will be one someday. It's the first prophecy that alludes to Jesus coming. There will be one someday who comes and stomps on the serpent head that deals with this and once again restores things back to how it was before Right? All things under my authority. This is where we are headed at the end. And so God begins the journey back to this restoration, this redemption through a man named Abraham. And Abraham, I'll give you the real cliff notes. Abraham becomes a family that becomes a people that becomes a nation that ultimately becomes the kingdom of Israel. Boom, we just did a fast forward through like 17 books. It's awesome, okay? So now we've got the kingdom of Israel and there's kings that stand over that. And they thought, cool, this is the pinnacle. This was God's intention. This this is what he wanted. What they didn't realize is that this kingdom was merely a foreshadowing of his desire to return back to Genesis chapter 1 with all things under his authority. And so we've got this kingdom. As we know, we get to the end of the Old Testament and there's the, all these prophecies that talk about there is going to be one who comes who will deal, this Messiah, this king that will come and restore things. And, and they're excited. They're looking for this king to come. And we get to the end of the Old Testament and he hadn't come yet. And they're waiting. They're waiting. What's going to happen? When is this king going to come? And then we get this point where Jesus walks on to the scene. And what does he do? He comes declaring that the kingdom has come. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is drawn near. Something special is happening. That's what he comes preaching. In fact, this is what was prophesied over Jesus even before he was born. If you look in Luke chapter 1. An angel comes to Mary, you're familiar, we read this kind of at the, the Christmas season, this angel comes to Mary and, and tells her, hey, this is what's going on. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Going on, it says this, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high, the son of God. That's what we call the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Stop there for a minute. Remember we talked about this a few weeks ago? Remember when David was king over Israel? God came to David and said, listen, I am going to establish your throne as an eternal throne. This was the promise that he made to David. I will establish this as an eternal throne. And so we knew that the throne of David would continue, but there hadn't been a king who sat on that throne in a very long time. And here we are now where, where God is saying, listen, listen, Mary, that baby inside this Jesus is going to be one sitting on that eternal throne. But it goes further than that as we go in the passage. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. So this one's going to be different than David because David only did it for a handful of years. This one who's going to sit on a throne is going to reign forever. And it continues, his kingdom will never end. This is going to be one who ushers in the kingdom of God in a way that we've never seen before, a way we've never understood before. This is what's taking place. And when Jesus comes in, that's what he's saying. Listen, what you've been waiting for is about to be here. Here it is. This is what you're looking for. Now, what were they expecting? What were the Jews expecting when the kingdom of God showed up? They were expecting an earthly kingdom. They were expecting what they had seen in the past. See, they interpreted all these prophecies about the kingdom of God coming. They interpreted through the lens of what they already knew and what they understood. So they thought it was going to be like the good old days. 
They thought it was going to be back when David was king, back when Solomon was king. It's going to be like that. That's what this Jesus is going to do. He's going to establish that kind of a kingdom. Once again, Israel is going to be powerful. We're going to be the nation everybody looks up to and aspires to be like. And what, what's going to happen? This king's going to come and overthrow the Roman Empire. Because at that time, the Jews were under the persecution of the Roman Empire. They didn't have freedom. And they were waiting for this leader, this king, to come in and set them free. They wanted a revolution. They wanted the Romans out of the way. And this explains why the crowds got so rowdy around Jesus. Uh, if, you, if you ever think about, I don't know about you, but when I think about Jesus, sometimes I visualize Jesus like hippie Jesus. Like, like, all, like Jesus is just like, hey guys, and everybody's just like around like, hey. We just, we just love each other. We just like, we sit out in the fields and pick flowers. Like that's, sometimes that's what I think about Jesus, okay? That is not what it was like. Like it was not hippie Jesus. Because the crowds that were surrounding Jesus were waiting on the day where he said, let's go folks. Like they were wanting him to come be the king and take control. In fact, there's a passage in John chapter six where the crowd got all revved up and that said that they wanted to try and by force make Jesus their king. That's what they were looking for. They were looking for him to come take over. That's what explains what goes on on Palm Sunday. Some of you are familiar with Palm Sunday. You know, we celebrate Palm Sunday. Maybe you've been in a church, right, where, you know, they take little palm branches and the little kids just run around and, and wave some palm branches on Palm Sunday more. And that's great to do that. But that, that's not a really good picture of what's going on on Palm Sunday. On Palm Sunday, what happens? For a few years now, they've been hearing about this Jesus who, who's healing people and raising people from the dead. And these people are starting to think he's the Messiah. He's the king. He's the one in control. He's the one that we're going to serve. He's the one that's going to kick the Romans' butts. That's what's going to happen. And they're excited. And then on this special day, Palm Sunday happens. And what happens? The, all of a sudden, this Jesus gets on a donkey. Wait, there's prophecy. The Messiah is going to get on a donkey. It's going to be awesome. Right? And he gets on a donkey and he begins to ride into the city like they said he would ride in the city. And he's riding into Jerusalem. He said he'd ride into Jerusalem. And he said he'd come in the eastern gate. He's riding in a donkey on the eastern gate. This is amazing. <laughs> my, my wife just made a sarcastic comment on the front row. <laughs> I just thoroughly embarrassed her. Sorry about that. But, but they do. They get to this point. Right? And they're waving palm branches. Why are they doing that? You wave a palm branch for a king who's walking in. That's why you wave a palm branch. And what are they saying? Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the world. Do you think they're making up a song on the spot? Nope, they're quoting straight out of the Old Testament when it came to the prophecies about this Messiah that would come in. That's what's going on. These people think Jesus is riding in. Here it comes, folks. He's taking over. He's gonna destroy the Romans. And he rides into Jerusalem. And five days later, he dies on a cross. And they're like, what? That is not how we saw this playing out. <laughs> I thought this was going to go differently. They were expecting a normal earthly kingdom. It didn't work out that way. It's the difference between expectation and reality. Yeah. We all have expectations. Sometimes it doesn't line up. Reminds me of Good Friday of last year. I'll tell you a little story. Good Friday last year, if you remember, we, it's been about a year since we had to go into quarantine, remember everything shut down and we couldn't do services in person here last year? So last Good Friday, uh, we had to do services purely online. 
and because of the way things worked out, we decided we were gonna pre-record our Good Friday service, all right? So me and Steph McDonald, one of our worship leaders, we sat on this stage, and she's on the keys, and I'm here. We did this nice little short thing, you know, and she plays some songs, and I preach about the gospel, and I preach about Jesus on a cross, and when I'm doing this thing, like, I get emotional, and I'm, like, crying, and God's moving in my heart while I'm sharing this stuff. It's just a powerful time. We have this little thing, and we wrap it up, and, you know, get it ready. Okay, we're gonna go live with this on Good Friday at 7 o'clock. This is gonna be great, right? And so here's the idea that I have. The, the expectation in my mind is, sweet, now I get to sit with my family and we get to watch this service together and God's presence is gonna come and this is gonna be amazing. If you have small children, it didn't work out that way. So we sit, we sit down and I'm like, come children, we're gonna watch this message. It's gonna be beautiful, you know, my small kids. And we're sitting and we start the video, you know, and they're cracking jokes and they're li- laughing and they're having a hard time paying any attention. It, well, but I'm like, oh, we'll get through the worship song. Once daddy starts talking, then they'll wanna pay attention, you know? And so I start talking on the video and we're like, kids, this is good, guys. You should watch this. And they're like, dad, this is weird. You're on the TV and you're right here. I'm like, yeah, just keep watching. It's okay. And then I start getting emotional on the thing and I'm like, oh good, they're gonna really, the spirit's gonna grab their hearts as daddy gets emotional. And Why are you crying on the TV, dad? This is, this is weird, dad. Why are you doing this? And I'm looking to my wife to get some help and now she's just laughing at me and this is like, and we're all, and now the kids get the giggles and the kids can't pay attention to anything and they're giggling and we're supposed to take communion. I'm like, kids, we're having a spiritual moment. You're supposed to pay attention. We're trying to have communion and it didn't really work and now I finally, I get up and I just wobbling, I'm done. It's not what I expected that to go like. If you're looking for a perfect pastor's family, that's not us, okay? We did not have the moment I thought we were gonna have. Praise God, he loves us anyways. But this is life. Like things don't always work out the way you expect them to. And when it comes to God, sometimes our expectations are not reality. Sometimes when it comes to God, we have how we think things should play out. And there's how God actually wants to lead things. The problem is when we are so bent on getting what we expect, we put ourselves in the position of authority. (laughs) God, why didn't you do things my way? This is where the people are at. They, They viewed the kingdom of God coming to look totally different, but what actually took place, a totally different kind of kingdom was being revealed. A different way of ruling and reigning was being revealed. Jesus' ministry begins, and it was the complete opposite of this brute strength that was going to come take over and destroy and vanquish the Roman Empire. It wasn't that kind of thing. Jesus walks in with a self-sacrificing kind of love. He walks in saying, listen, I'm not coming to be served. I'm coming to serve and to give my life. And actually, his greatest strength, the beauty and his power is most clearly demonstrated where? Lying dead on a tree is he's willing to give his life. See, this is a different kind of kingdom. It doesn't make sense. He doesn't try to take over. In fact, he fights against it. You remember there are times where the people, there's just so many crowds following him and, and the disciples get mad at him. Why? Because he steps up and rather than keep saying all the good stuff, he starts preaching harder and he thins out the crowd. And they're like, whoa, 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 don't talk about that stuff. He's like, listen, I'm not building a kingdom like you're used to. This isn't just like how many bodies can I, how many warm bodies can we get to show up here? I'm building a different kind of kingdom. It's a revolution. I'm launching the rule and the reign of God, but in doing it in a totally different way. And we get to Luke chapter four, and Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, steps into a synagogue, and he begins to quote from Isaiah. And what does he read from Isaiah? He says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
It goes on and says this, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to declare, next one, <laughs> proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, he's, he's proclaiming all of this amazing stuff. Listen, I'm bringing the kingdom of God and it looks like all this stuff that you probably weren't expecting. It doesn't look like swords. It doesn't look like power. It doesn't look like someone taking over. It looks like life in dead places. It looks like beauty in dark places. It looks totally different than the kingdom you are expecting. And Jesus doesn't come to spend time with the rich and the wealthy and the influential. He comes for the broken, the outsider, the sinner. He comes and heals the sick, raises the dead, gives hope to the lost, and he teaches a totally different way of living. If you've ever read Matthew's five, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, known as the Sermon on the Mount. And I would say that this is most clearly understood as how to live as a kingdom person. Because it's a completely different way of living life. Everything is completely different. And this is what Jesus is trying to do. He's saying, listen, I'm doing something amazing. I'm launching a new kingdom. I'm launching this rule and reign of God. But I'm doing it not by brute force. I'm doing it through my life. And I'm going to do it through your life. See, Jesus came teaching not a garden kingdom, but he came teaching a dandelion kingdom. How many of you are gardeners out there? Any gardeners in the room? Nobody? Okay, there's like two of you. That's a one and a half, actually. I don't even give you a hole for that one. It's like a half there somewhere, right? One and a half gardeners. We're gonna be in trouble if food runs out, guys. Okay? <laughs> so garden kingdom. He didn't come to build a garden kingdom. I don't know a whole lot about gardening, but I know a few things. Here's the deal. You get a plot of ground, right? You got to till that thing up. You got to plant some nice little rows of things, you know, set the little boundaries there. And if you got deer or you got rabbits, you know, a lot of times you got to set a little fence around it so they don't eat all your stuff up, you know. It's this nice little, nice little garden, you know. See, this is what the Jews were hoping would happen, that God would establish a kingdom just like that. He'd establish the borders, all this kind of thing, and we'd be the insiders. Everybody else is the outsider, you know, and right here we'd be safe inside of our kingdom. But God said, I'm not interested in a garden kingdom. I want a dandelion kingdom. I hate dandelions. Can't stand them. Why? Because they pop up everywhere. There is no border to a dandelion kingdom. Right? They blow everywhere. Wherever the wind blows, the dandelions pop up. Right in the center of my, gar or my uh, lawn, you know, in my driveway, they'll pop up. They'll drive away in the middle of our parking lot around here. A dandelion will all of a sudden pop up. And he's saying, listen, that's what I want my kingdom to look like. My kingdom does not have, it's not a kingdom like the world would say. You know, it's not this perfect little borders. No, it's in you and it's in me. And wherever you go, you take the kingdom of God. And my desire is that as you are sprouting up all over every little place, it's oh, there's where the rule and the reign of God exists, right in that place. You bring it where you are. And just like, you know, the dandelions get the little thingies and then they all float away and then it just sprouts up in more places. That's my desire for the kingdom of God, that we're expanding. It isn't an earthly kingdom. It is a spiritual kingdom. And you've been invited to be a part of this thing. And here's the difference. A lot of times we think, oh, we have been saved so that we get to go to heaven when we die. No, you have been saved to the kingdom of God now. It is not just a future tense. It is a present tense right now. That's the invitation. And see, so often we say, I want to invite Jesus in my heart. That wasn't what was talked about. No, I want to invite you to enter my kingdom. And when you step into the kingdom of God, it transforms everything. It changes. Suddenly your allegiance is different. Suddenly your priorities are different. Suddenly everything about your life is different. Why? Because you've stepped into his kingdom. You've stepped under his authority, under his rule, and his reign. And your life is different because of it. 
That's what the Bible teaches. That's what it means to follow Christ. It's not adding him to your life. It's submitting your life to his kingdom. We pray a prayer all the time. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. God, God, would your kingdom come? Would your will be done? The goal was never invite him into your heart. The goal was to respond to his invitation to join the kingdom and to extend his rule around the world. So as we wrap up here uh, this morning, I want to close with a very uh, simple big so what. I always say, so what, what's the point of this thing? If you forgot everything else that I talked about today, if you fell asleep at some point in time because you didn't get enough sleep last night, that's fine. Wake up and here we go. Big so what this morning is this. The inviter calls the shots. The inviter calls the shots. What do I mean? So if you want to throw a party at your house, you want to invite people over to your house, guess who decides what's going to happen? You do. See, if Amber and I invite people over to our house, you know, especially if, you know, we got people with kids, you know, we're like, okay, you're not going to go in this room, right? You can go in these rooms, you're not going to go in this room. And my wife keeps an amazing, immaculate home. At any point, you could walk into our house, and it's like always clean. That's just how our house is. But if for some crazy reason, we had a bunch of random things laying around, and we said, oh, what are we going to do with them? We might stuff them all in a room and shut the door and just say, nobody's going in there today, right? You, you do that, because you're the inviter. You get to call the shots. When you're the inviter, you determine what you're going to eat, what you're gonna do, all those kind of things. You get to call the shots. See, the problem when it comes to inviting Jesus in our heart is the mentality can become this, I'm still in control. I'm gonna invite you into my thing and I'll let you in the rooms that I want you in. Oh, I I got some junk, yeah, I just closed the door on that room, yeah, you don't come in that room. I I don't want you to be a part of that. But see, we're we're not called to, to that type of a life We are called to respond to the invitation that God gives us. When he's the inviter, we're stepping into his home. We're stepping under his authority. We're responding to his kingdom. And that means there's no rooms that are our own. No, we say, God, it's all yours. I give it all to you. I submit it all to you. It's not my life anymore. That's what a follower of Christ is. And, and unfortunately, we've, we can raise because we've used this little phrase of I'm just going to raise a hand someday and invite Jesus in my heart so I get to go to heaven with no thought that you have been invited into something. Listen, what you have been saved from is just as important as what you are saved to. You have been saved from your sin, but you have been saved to the kingdom of God. And you have been invited right now to live differently, to live as a foreigner in this land because you are a part of a different type of a kingdom. Your authority is different. Your love and your passions are different. And we can become so complacent as followers of Christ, living just like people say, well, I added Jesus to what I got going on, but I'm still kind of, I'm the one calling the shots here, right? I would ask the question, who is calling the shots in your life? Because the answer to that question may determine some areas in your life where you haven't really given God authority, where you haven't said, yep, I give you control. Say, God, I kind of still want to do things my way in that area. Maybe it's in a relationship. You've got some relationships maybe that you, you know are not right, but you still allow yourself to engage that way. Maybe it comes to your time, how you deal with your time, how you spend your time. Instead of investing it in things that matter, you're just spending it on things that don't matter at all. Maybe it has to do with your talents. God's given you talents. He's given you gifts. He's given you abilities. But rather than submitting it to his kingdom and saying, God, how do you want me to use it? You just say, I'm going to spend it on what I want to. 
when it comes to your, your future. You're making plans for the future, but you haven't submitted your future to God and say, God, whatever you want for me, I'll do that. Instead, you're saying, God, I want to do what I want to do. And I'm planning about my life and my kingdom. See, we're just building our own little kingdoms here. Say, God, no, I want to I submit to you. And even when it comes to our finances and our stuff and our money, are we those people who say, I'm calling the shots, God. You can have everything, but you're not having that. Or are we people that say, God, no, I'm submitted to your kingdom, to your authority, to your rule, to your reign, even in that area of my life. And it's easy to say, Greg, this is cute. This is a nice little semantics thing. Oh, who's the inviter? That's great. I don't think it's an issue of that, of semantics. I think it's an issue of salvation or delusion. Because Jesus... Jesus spoke one of the hardest words in Matthew chapter 7. And I would say if you've, you've kind of been to church some in your life and you just thought, oh, I just need to add Jesus to my life and that's cool and, and I can just kind of, I'm good, I got my card, I'm good for heaven kind of thing. Here's a verse that should challenge you. It should challenge you, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It's possible to be delusional when it comes to faith. To feel like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm all good. Have you submitted your life to God? I'm gonna say, are you good? You can be near God and still be far from God. That's what this shows. Like they're saying, Lord, they're near God, but they are not submitted to God. And it's easy to look at this passage of scripture and say, well, this kind of feels like a works-based salvation, so I got to do all the right stuff, and if I do the right stuff, then I get to heaven. No, no, your works will never save you, but you'd have to make Jesus your Lord, and if he's your Lord, you're going to do what he's asked you to do. See, our works become a symptom, a positive symptom of our submission to his authority. And if you don't find yourself in that place, if you don't find you're in a place where God has, has been given the authority to call the shots, then you need to step back and say, have I truly submitted my life to God? Listen, as your pastor, the last thing I would want is to have you exist in a delusional state, thinking you have submitted to God and recognizing that you are far from him. Getting to heaven someday and saying, Lord, Lord, and he's like, I never knew you. And how can we have confidence? Confidence comes when we just simply lay before him and say, God, I'm going to screw this up. <laughs> I'm imperfect and I'm broken and I desperately throw myself on your grace. And I need you, Father. And God, rather than just simply trying to add you to my thing, I'm going to pursue in every area of my life submitting myself to you. And I'm going to be imperfect. That's why Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for imperfect people. But God, I want to pursue constantly laying myself down. When there's an area, when you shine a light on my life somewhere, I'm, I'm going to pursue, okay, God, there's another area that I need to submit to you. I need to lay, I'm not going to just carry on. Oh, sorry, that's my way. No, God, I'm going to give it to you. I want to submit to you. That's what it means to turn our hearts over to him completely. And as it said, even here in Matthew chapter 1, verse 14, he said, repent and believe. See, when we hit those moments, the call is to repent, to turn away and to turn toward, to turn away from that thing that we have been holding on and to turn toward God and say, God, I'm yours. I'm completely yours. And I believe this morning there is something and there's situations, there's areas of our lives here, even as followers of Christ, that we need to say, God, we are yours. Remember the prayer that we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. See, I changed that prayer a little bit and I personalized Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in me as it is in heaven. God, may I be a, a representation of your kingdom, your rule, and your reign in this world. 
I'm gonna give you a moment here to respond. In a moment, I'm gonna ask those who wanna, we had about six, seven people who submitted their lives to Christ today in our first service and excited to give an opportunity for some of you. Maybe you need to respond the same way. Maybe you have invited Jesus in your heart, but you've never really submitted your life to him. This is gonna be an opportunity for you to do that here this morning. Uh, but for, for the rest of us who would say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, my guess is there's still probably some, some dirty closets in our room. <laughs> that we just kind of close the door and say, God, nah, don't go in there. <laughs> you shouldn't go in that room. And I'm gonna give you about a minute or two to just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you reveal that in my life? I don't want you to walk out of these doors and miss this moment. Say, God, is there an area of my life? Maybe it is a relationship. Maybe it is how I spend my time, my future, my money, my stuff, whatever it is. God, would you shine a light on that? And allow, that I would start allowing you to call the shots. I'll give you a moment just to pray and invite God to speak to your hearts. God, I now acknowledge, even for myself, Lord, that there are areas in my life where I still have a desire to call the shots at times, God. And Lord, more and more what I want to do is I want to be surrendered to you and submitted to your authority. God, I pray that you would just keep speaking to those here this morning and those with us online. That those areas that we want to submit to you, God, maybe it's hard, maybe it's an area that we've been fighting for for years. God, I pray that we would step into a new level of surrender and submission to your authority, God, because as you, as you have already displayed, as we see in Genesis 1, when, when all things are under your authority, it's perfection, it's beauty. God, the goodness and the life you have for us is available, but it's only found in submission to you, Lord, as you reveal your beauty to us, Lord. Pray that you would help us to live as those that submitted to you, God. Thank you, Jesus. I'm gonna encourage you, if God's spoken to your heart, maybe you need to pull out a piece of paper and write something down. Maybe you need to write it in your phone. But take that to prayer this week and say, God, would you help me in this area? I know some of those areas that are challenging, we tend to just kind of fall back to the same place over and over again. But, but I believe God wants to bring a, a new freedom in your life. Would you stand with me across the room? I wanna give an opportunity for those. There may be some here that are in the room. <clears throat> there may be some in the room here and you have, you have been a... Uh, someone who's responded in the past, maybe you invited Jesus in your heart, but as I've shared this morning and you were honest with yourself, you'd realize, you know what, I've never submitted my life to Jesus. I've just been trying to add him, the good stuff of Jesus, just wanted to make sure I didn't go to hell when I died. And you wanna say, God, no, I wanna step into your kingdom with both feet. I wanna submit myself completely to you. I'm gonna invite everyone just to, to bow your heads, close your eyes across the room. But if that's you here this morning, as an act of faith to say, God, I am all in. Both feet, I'm no hesitation, no holding back. I am all yours. If that's you this morning, I wanna invite you just to lift a hand as an act of faith across the room. Say, God, I want no delusion. I want no confusion. I want none of those things. God, I wanna fully submit my heart to you. Yeah, across the room. Yes, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, I believe today is a day of salvation, of true repentant salvation today. And uh, so for those of you that want to respond, I'm going to invite you to pray in your own heart. 
as I pray right now out loud. God, I thank you so much for loving and caring for me. God, I thank you that you have pursued me up until this moment right now. My whole story, you've been pursuing me. And I thank you for that, God. And I thank you that you so desperately want to demonstrate your goodness and your grace and your love that you would allow me to hear your word proclaimed again. And Father, I, I believe that Jesus came to earth. I believe he died and he rose again to purchase my salvation, to purchase my freedom, and to give me an open door invitation to not just simply step into heaven someday, but to step into your kingdom right now. And Lord, I submit myself to you. I declare you as my king and as my Lord and as my leader. I surrender everything I am to you, and I choose to serve you all the days of my life. I pray that you would help me to live for you, to learn from you, to grow in you, that I would walk more and more looking like Jesus and less and less like myself. God, would you do that in my heart? I pray that in the precious and the holy name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. There was at least six hands that were raised this morning, maybe eight hands that were raised saying, I wanna be all in. hear this, that, that is huge. That is the greatest decision that could ever be made. To not just simply say, God, save me in the future, but to say, God, I'm yours. And God will answer that prayer. A prayer that says, God, I'm all yours. So I would encourage you this week that, that you tell somebody the step that you have taken, but that you would constantly go in prayer and say, God, I'm yours today. Because guess what? Tomorrow, you're going to want to get back on the throne again. Right? Anybody who's followed Jesus knows what that's like. I wake up and I'm like, ah, it's going to be about me today, right? But to say, no, God, today, it's a new day, and Father, I surrender my life to you. And so I want to give a challenge to everybody in the room for this week, is we're going to pursue being kingdom people, and, and the, the challenge is this, if you want to pull that on the screen. I want you to read the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapters 5 and seven, five through 7, if you haven't read it. Read the Sermon on the Mount and, and live as kingdom people this week. To read the Sermon on the Mount and say, okay, this is what it looks like to be a kingdom person. This is what it looks like to be submitted to God. Where is that different than the way I'm living right now? And as we do that, I believe we will look more and more like the kingdom of God. And we, we, we will become the dandelion kingdom that God desires. Where the rule and reign of God exists all over the place. And that's his desire.